Well, we are starting a new series, a short series, but a very important one as we move towards Easter. And the series is on the topic of revival. I feel led by the Spirit to spend a couple weekends preaching on, and more importantly, praying for real revival. Why? Well, two reasons. Two reasons we are spending some time emphasizing and focusing on revival. One is this, because I think God has sovereignly set the stage for real revival. William Prattney has studied all the so-called revivals in church history and found that the great outpourings of the Spirit have historically happened during periods of moral decline, social and political unrest, and immediately following a major economic crisis and a widespread health epidemic. Like, wow. The first well-documented revival post-Pentecost took place in the second century, right after the Antonine Plague killed almost 25% of the Roman Empire. The next one, about 100 years later, a real revival took place in the second century, right after the plague of Cyprian, Um, Maybe the greatest work of God we've seen in 2,000 years was the Reformation of the 1500s. What was happening in the 1500s? Bubonic plague. Second wave of bubonic plague was happening. The greatest revival that our country has ever known was the Great Awakening of the 1700s. During the 1700s, immorality was at an all-time high. There was political and social unrest as this country was literally being birthed into existence. And there was these two little viruses going around called tuberculosis and smallpox. Prattney, whose search, his, his research came on the scene well before COVID ever did, concluded that the four main ingredients that have historically set up real revivals our moral decline, check. An economic crisis, check. Major social transitions, check. And a widespread illness of some kind. He writes, quote, once those timbers are positioned, it only takes a catalytic spark to set the whole fire ablaze. The reason I trust God wants us to preach on and pray for revival is because I think God has positioned us for it. The second reason is, um, you guys, I need revival. Is that okay for your pastor to say? Can, can I say that this morning? Can I be a, I am a shepherd, but I'm also a sheep. And I just want to confess to you before my entire church family, I am a pastor who needs a personal revival. I am a man who needs a personal revival. No, I haven't cheated on my wife, praise God. By God's keeping grace, I haven't fallen into any disqualifying sin. But I feel like I've just been kind of in a spiritual funk for quite a bit, uh, quite a long time. I've been reading my Bible, but I just feel like my heart is far from its first love. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've been walking in Christian community, but I, my heart feels far from its first love. Yeah, I've been, I've been showing up on church on Sundays, but my heart feels far from its first love. I just feel like I've been in a, a dry season for quite a long time. 
And real revival, as I'm defining it in this series, is a renewed passion and love for Jesus after a season of dryness and coldness of heart. And I need that. And I suspect I'm not alone. In fact, at the end of this message, I'm going to ask anyone and everyone who senses a need for a personal revival to stand with me as an expression to the Lord that we know our need because you guys, I'm convinced that the catalytic spark the Spirit is waiting for is not a church pretending to be strong, but one humble enough to admit that it's weak. That's the spark. That's when you're positioned for true, real revival. So today, I'm calling us to lay down our Sunday morning smiles and to get really humble and honest before the Lord and admit that many of us, I assume most of us, need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit onto the altar of our hearts. We need a personal revival, which begs the question, how do we know that? How, how do you know that you need personal revival? Open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah chapter 63, God's people and even God's prophet Isaiah himself are in desperate need of reviving. God had powerfully worked in their midst. I mean, guys, these are the days of Isaiah. These are like the Jewish glory days. Isaiah's the guy. And yet here in Isaiah 63 and 64, we see a people, we see a prophet in desperate need of reviving grace, renewing grace, refreshing grace. The title of this message is How You Know You Need a Personal Revival. And we're going to see five signs. The first one is in Isaiah 63, verse 15. If you're there, say nice and loud there. Okay, I'll wait for the rest of us. Isaiah 63, verse 15. The grass withers, the flower fades. This church is going to be a distant memory, but these are going to last forever. If you're there, say there. Okay, let's lean in, church family. Isaiah prays to God. Look down from heaven and see. From your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. Can you hear the situation of Isaiah's soul? Look again at verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. He says, God, it feels like you're way up there in your high and holy habitation but we're down here. Can, can you see us? Can you look down and see? See it in the text. I'm not making it up. Where are your zeal? God, where are you? I thought you were passionate for your people. I thought you were zealous. Do you even care? Where are your zeal? See it. And your might. I thought you were strong. I, I thought you were the God who moves mountains. I thought you could do anything. Why aren't you doing something? Where's your strength? Raise your hand if you've prayed those kinds of prayers before. Yeah. And when you pray those prayers, we end up in the conclusion that Isaiah ends up, see it in verse 15, the stirring of your inner parts. That's 
your heart and your compassion are held back. Not from us, what does it say? From me, it's personal here. God, your heart must be cold towards me. Your tender compassion must not be so tender. You're just way up there. I'm just way down here and your heart doesn't feel anything for me. The first sign you need a personal revival is that you feel far from God. That's what we're seeing in verse 15. You feel far from God. Loved one, listen, if you are not personally experiencing the tangible nearness of God, you need a personal revival. If you're asking, where is God? If you're questioning if he's passionate for you, zealous for you, if you're questioning if he leverages his strength for you, you need a personal revival. If you don't believe that God's heart is stirred afresh every time he looks at you, you need a personal revival. If you don't feel, like actually feel, the wonderful warmth of his unchanging compassion for you, especially compassion for your sin sickness and your suffering, it's time for a personal revival. The greatest hindrance to your relationship with the Lord is believing that he is distant and removed. And unlike Isaiah, catch this, catch this, catch this, unlike Isaiah... We're a post-Pentecost people. What does that mean? Come on now, some of you are whispering it. We've got the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? Game changer. Like that changes everything. Do you understand your privilege and position as a New Testament Christian? The earth-shattering, window-rattling, life-altering difference between you and Isaiah is that God moved. The Father sent the Son so the Son could send the Spirit so you would never pray again. God, would you look down from your high and holy habitation because, loved one, now you are His habitation. Game-changer. Real revival comes as you choose to believe by faith, minute after minute, that God himself in the Holy Spirit is now closer than your skin. That he sees everything. He knows everything. He's more involved and aware than you are. If you feel dry and distracted and drifting and distant, it's time to wake up again to the fresh nearness of God. You guys, he is so close. Do you not know that you are God's temple? That the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. How do we know we need a personal revival when he feels distant? That's the first light on the dashboard. The second one is in verse 16. Look at verse 16 for the second sign that you need a personal revival. Isaiah prays, for you are our father, watch this now, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer, from of old is your name. Can you see what he's saying there? 
The context of this chapter is that God's people had been following hard after God. At one time, they were the radical remnant of Israel. But now here in Isaiah's day, they had fallen back into their old ways of living so that Abraham does not know us, Israel does not acknowledge us. Translation, if Abraham and Israel, the grandfathers of our faith, the pillars of our religion, the heads of our tribe, if they were alive today, they wouldn't even recognize us. Why? Look down to verse 19. Here's why. Because we have become like those you never ruled like those who did not bear your name. Loved one, you need a personal revival when you are living just like the world. This isn't the cool message to preach, but it is the true one. The telltale sign that you need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life is when you are no longer reflecting the heart and holiness of your heavenly Father. And this is the time, guys. We're going nowhere with the Lord if we're not willing to get honest. This is the time to be honest. How different is your actual day-to-day life from the lives of your unbelieving friends and family members? How different does your Netflix watch list look or your Spotify playlist or your search history on your phone How different do you spend your money from your unbelieving coworker? How different are the words that come out of your mouth when you're angry and upset? How different does your screen time compare? How different is your go-to pleasure? How different is the thing that you look for for happiness when you're sad? How different is the thing that you look to, to fulfill and give you a sense of Peace from your inner restlessness. If your life objectively, observably, is it different from the lives of the unbelievers around you? Or do you basically spend your time the same way? Yeah, you get up a little early on Sundays, but I basically spend my time the same way. Do you basically spend your money the same way? Do you basically talk the same way, sin the same way? For some of us, the answer is honestly, dude, my life looks really different from the lives of unbelievers around me. If that's you, praise God for transformative grace. Give him glory for that. But if you are like me and the answer is not nearly different enough, then hear me, God doesn't want you to feel guilt right now. He wants you to feel need. The only person who doesn't qualify for a personal revival is the person who doesn't think they need one. Let me say that again. The only person who doesn't qualify for a personal revival is the person who doesn't feel they need one. But if you feel you need one, Isaiah 30, 18, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy. He's rising up to show you compassion. Best news ever. So cherish one, if your conduct, your behavior, your speech, your screen time, your search history is basically the same as everyone else, God's not frustrated with you. He's not at the end of his rope with you. He stands willing and ready to revive you today. As we study these verses, if you feel guilty, that's Satan. If you feel needy, 
That's the Holy Spirit. God is not irritated by your need. He's rejoicing because you're finally in position for a real breakthrough. You know you need a personal revival when you feel far from God, when you're living basically like the rest of the world. And because the original text here doesn't have a chapter break, it's just one continuous prayer by Isaiah, look over to Isaiah 64, verse 1. This is all the same prayer. Isaiah 64, verse 1, he prays this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. Read that again. Look at verse 3. When you did awesome things, aren't we talking? Isn't this Isaiah talking? Isn't God doing awesome things? When you did awesome things, the and you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. What is he referring to there? That's right, when Moses came down. When was that? That's Exodus chapter 20. 700 years before Isaiah. So wait, Isaiah, you, you want to put your finger on something awesome that God did and you have to go back 700 years to Exodus chapter 20? 700 years to come up with something awesome that the Lord has done? You know you need a personal revival when your best season with God was a long time ago. You know you need a personal revival when your past with God was more powerful than your present do you guys have any friends just stuck in the old days? You know what I'm talking about? I, 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 had a, I have a friend on um, Facebook from high school. I saw a picture of him the other day. He's still wearing his letterman's jacket. I was there with him freshman year when he got that thing, and he's been peacocking that most improved badge for 15 years. It's like, come on, man, grow out of it, right? And yet, how many of us do that with our spiritual lives? Dude, tell me about what's, what's going on. What's God doing in your life? Oh, man. In 2012, I went to this conference, right? Man, tell me about the most powerful time you ever had with the Lord. Oh, summer camp. Oh, when was summer camp? High school. Come on, man. Oh, man, this, I read this book. It just rocked me. Oh, when did you read the book? Five years ago? Oh, dude, Freshman year, the dorm, the guys, we were just eating up the word. Sweet, you're 35 years old. What has God done lately? Do you remember, loved one, when, when you first got saved by Jesus? Do you remember that? How hungry you were growing in Christ with those first Christian words, just uh, with your first Christian friends, devouring God's word, telling everyone everywhere about Jesus. And people were starting to take note, right? Your friends thought you were weird. Your parents thought you might be on drugs or something. Like things were just clearly changing in your life and everyone noticed. For me, this summer, I'm, I'm celebrating 
12 years since Jesus saved me, and I found my first Bible. This is the first Bible that the Lord used in my life, and it's funny just going through it. All the pages look like this. If you highlight everything, you highlight nothing, right? What sticks out? Nothing. But man, every page is just devoured. And I was thinking about what I should do with this Bible, and the answer is nothing. Put it on the shelf. We aren't made to look back at past times of grace and call those the good old days. God doesn't want to use that Bible. He wants to use this Bible. Right? If you've had great seasons with the Lord, praise God for that. But God never meant for us to make a shrine out of the past grace and call it the glory days. He wants his people never to speak of the best season with Jesus in the past tense. Isn't he here today? Doesn't he say Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever? Listen, God doesn't want to take you back somewhere. He wants to take you beyond somewhere. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Isaiah 43, 19, God says, look, I'm doing a new thing. Even now it's happening. Can you not see it? And then the apostles double down that promise in Acts 13, 49. Look, he's doing a new thing. Guys, God doesn't want to take you back somewhere. He wants to take you beyond that somewhere. And when the hottest, most radical, most exciting, most adventurous, most satisfying season with Jesus wasn't weeks or months ago, but years ago, loved one, it is time, beyond time for a personal revival. And side note, is it any wonder we're so helpless against our most repetitive sins? If you're running on the fumes of God's faithfulness from five or 15 years ago, loved one, the tank is empty. And you can't fight present tense sin with past tense grace. Right? The only weapon you have for present tense temptation is a present tense God who will outsatisfy that temptation with a present tense experience of him. But that leads us to the next point. Look at verse 5. Isaiah 64 verse 5 contains another light on the spiritual dashboard that it is time for reviving. He prays this. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Now watch this. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. Would you just read that next line nice and loud? Yeah. In our sins, we have been a long you know you need a personal revival when you are enslaved by a specific sin. It's not just that they sinned, it's that they are stuck in a sin, the same sin for a long time. Can you see the, the chain here? If you feel like God is distant, then you'll start living like the world. And if you start living like the world, you will your best season with God will feel like it's in the past. And if your best season in the God feels like in the past, you become enslaved because you can't fight present tense sin with past tense experiences of God. And so why does this lead us to feeling distant from God? Look at verse 6. This is something new I learned this week. 
we, all have, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. That's why God says kill sin. Do you know that? Sin is like wind. It blows us away from God. That, we got to know this. God tells us to fight sin and flee sin, not because he arbitrarily says so. He commands us to kill sin because he wants to give us life, the, the life that can only be found in close, intimate, real communion with him. And our sins are like little tornadoes that sweep us up and spin us every direction so we don't know which way is which and then carry us out of the felt nearness of God and drop us down into some dry, isolated place of loneliness and misery. And so when God says fight that or kill that or stop doing that, it's not because he's trying to take your joy away. He's trying to protect your joy. Your joy is in relationship with him and he knows that thing is gonna carry you way over there and drop you down into that place. And so when he says don't do that, it's not don't do that so I'll love you. It's don't do that because I love you and I want you close. It's a fatherly protection. So child of God, here's the question, get honest. What specific, repetitive, ongoing pattern of sin are you enslaved in right now? What urge just has its teeth? What way of reacting has just become all too common for you? What attitude? What habit? What keeps continually pushing you around and then dropping you off in some dry place of loneliness and distance from God? What's the thing that you do to drown out your discouragement? The thing you do to numb the feelings of insignificance? What's the thing you do to deliver you from the drums of boredom? We all have those things. And if you continue to do those things, Look down at the end of verse 5. This is probably the deepest sign that you need reviving. In our sins, we have been a long time. Look at this question here. And shall we be saved? Do you hear that? When we've been in sin a long time, you begin eventually to lose hope of ever being free. That's the greatest sign. There are some sins in my life, some rhythms of reacting that have just become all too predictable. And I've started to find myself in the last six, seven, eight months just going, well, I guess this is just me. I guess just is this how I am. And it's like, dude, you're 30 years old. Bro, you got 50 years of following Jesus and flourishing. Why are you rolling over? Because that's what sin does. That's what Satan does. It, it helps, it makes you resign. If you fight enough, and you fall enough, and you fail enough, eventually you just begin to go, am I going to be saved? And you start resigning yourself. I guess this is how I'll always be. I guess this is who I am. I guess this is how I react. I guess this is just me. And you begin to settle in your sins. 
And God is so willing. It's why he providentially brought you to church this morning. God is so willing to give you fresh faith for your future and fresh power for your present if you just ask. Anyone amen on that? I mean, guys, you need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit and he will give you a holy breakthrough from any sin that has you pinned in bondage. We just need to ask. And you know revival is taking place when you begin to hope again. When you start going, okay, I lost that battle, but by God's grace, I'm going to win this war. That's when you know something spiritually significant is happening. When you start to go, okay, that's it. I'm going to fight. Man, don't count me out. I ain't rolling over yet. I've got 50 years by God's grace to fight this thing and put this thing to death. When you start thinking those thoughts, loved one, you're being revived. New, something new is happening. Guys, it is time for you to stop playing the victim on your favorite sin. God wants to just breathe fresh fire and fresh fight into you and give you freedom from your past, power for your present, and hope for your future. I am so ready for that. Freedom from your past, power for your future for your present, hope for your future. But God wants to show us one more sign that we need a personal revival. Look at verse 7, Isaiah 64, verse 7. Isaiah just laments, There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of your iniquities. The fifth and final sign you need a personal revival is your prayer life is passionless and impersonal. See it at the beginning of verse 7. Isaiah says, There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. The word translated rouses denotes an urgency and a passion. It's like someone realizing their house is on fire and they rouse themselves out of bed to get the heck out of the house. And Isaiah looks at all God's people and he says, They're praying, but no one's calling. No one's rousing themselves with holy passion and fire. I've been to so many prayer meetings where it's a half dozen half-hearted people just praying, Lord, if it's your will, right? Lord, it would be really nice if you maybe possibly thought about doing this, but only if it's your will. When you hear prayers like that, you need personal revival. We need personal revival. Martin Lloyd-Jones said the, the prayers prayed during revivals always begin with the word, oh, Oh, Lord, oh, help us. It's desperation, it's passion, it's urgency. Revived prayers are passionate, but they're not just passionate, they're personal. See it in verse seven. Who rouses himself to take hold of what? Of you. Sure, people might be praying for an easier day. Even unbelievers periodically ask God for that. But who's crying out for God? Jesus! Jesus! I'm I'm not coming for your gifts. I'm coming for you. You're the one I want. Jesus, if it's not you, it's nothing. Jesus, you're my plan A. I don't have a plan B. Who's praying like that? Those are revival prayers. The fifth and final sign you need a personal revival is when your prayer life is passionless and impersonal. And just do self-assessment here. Just be honest. How was your prayer life this last week? 
Were they full of passion? Were they centered on God himself? Or were they just kind of quick, sporadic, to the point, always asking God for something, seldom asking God for God? Don't fool yourself. The thermostat or the thermometer of your relationship with God is your prayer life. The gauge of your relationship with God is your prayer life. Your relationship is never going better than your prayer life. And if your prayers, like mine, have been rather passionless, rather impersonal, centered on the gifts rather than the giver, loved one, it's time for a personal revival. Vertical church, Isaiah needed a personal revival. God's people needed a personal revival. I need a personal revival. This church needs a personal revival. Let's pray. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We can't send you home like that. Are you kidding me? This is... (laughs) God is way too kind to beat us up for 30 minutes and send us home. He is the best physician who always diagnoses the problem, but then personally heals it himself. Isaiah 63 and 64 is, is not just a prayer for personal revival. It's a prayer, listen, that has already been answered for all of God's people in the past and now stands as an open invitation to be answered again for all of God's people in the present Look back at Isaiah 64, tucked into this little verse is the gospel of Jesus from Nazareth. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Circle that word rend, and now meet me over at Mark 1.10. We've just spent a year and a half studying the gospel of Mark, and the word translated rend here shows up only twice, only two times in the entire gospel of Mark. The first one the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, Mark 1, verse 10. It says Jesus is being baptized. And it says this, when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw (laughs) the heavens, what? Being torn open, same word. At Jesus' baptism, guys, God through Mark is declaring that Jesus is the answer of Isaiah 64, 1, the one Isaiah had prayed for 700 years earlier is standing right in front of John the Baptist in the water. Why? Turn over to Mark 15, verse 37. The only other place in the gospel of Mark, the word rend shows up is Mark 15, verse 37. It's a total God thing that Pastor Dave already read this verse. We didn't set that up. On the cross, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was what? Torn, rend, same word. Do you get it? God answers the prayer of Isaiah 64.1 700 years later by ripping through the heavens and coming in the person of Jesus Christ and then on the cross, ripping through your sin so that there would be no separation between you and him. This is Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the what? The heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Weaknesses like feeling distant from God. 
living like everyone else, being enslaved to certain sins, praying impersonal, passionless prayers. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's why, guys. Here's how you experience personal revival before you get in the car. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. As we kick off this spring thinking, praying for revival, we need to start where revival starts, with repentance. True revival always and only begins with true repentance. For you to be refreshed in the Lord, you need to return to the Lord. And the most amazing thing about the gospel, I'm still fighting to believe this, is that he's not frustrated by your repentance. He's celebrating it. He doesn't want you to grovel. He's not going to say, I told you so. The whole point of the gospel is that God in Jesus pursues people who need reviving. And so he stands over you and he stands over this church today willing and eager to revive his people. The only question is, will we draw near with confidence that we may receive grace and mercy in our time of need? I know many of us sense a need for a personal revival. And I think the best way for us to communicate to the Lord our repentance and our desire to draw near to the throne of grace is to stand together in unity and to stand together in need. And so if you, like me, sense a need of personal revival, God has felt distant. Your life, regrettably, has looked a lot like the world, the unbelieving world. Your best, richest, most intimate season with God does feel like it was a while ago. There are some sins that have just been kicking your butt and your prayer life is not what you want it to be. Would you courageously and humbly stand now and express your need with your brothers and sisters that we want to approach the throne of grace? Praise God. That means we are positioned for the real thing. Let's pray. Father, we feel like you are distant. Our lives look far too similar to the lives of the unbelieving world. Our most intimate times with you feel like they were a long time ago. There are some sins you know that we keep going back to every day. And our prayers have grown passionless and impersonal. And so we pray Psalm 85, 6, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Again, we, we aren't looking for this light surfacy, false sense of encouragement to just hop to our car and drive home. We need the real thing. We want revival. 
we want to stop talking about our richest, best season with you in the past tense. And we want it now, this spring. Would you take us into a new frontier with you? And we know that answer, proved in Jesus, is a resounding, refreshing, reviving, yes. Thank you, Lord. Come revive your people now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you just stand? Let's sing.